welcome to all my listeners. This is the pilot episode of Domestic Abuse, The Cutting Edge. My name is Maz, your podcast host. I'm a domestic abuse survivor, 13 years on, a university graduate and a white-collar professional. I'm a woman of colour and a single mother of one beautiful, gifted and talented child, the true love of my life. My podcast follows my domestic abuse survivor story and those of other inspiring survivors. The intent of my podcast series is to bring a strong awareness of the cycle and the psychology behind domestic abuse and its devastation. At the end of each episode, I will have signposts and contact details of helplines and other support services for anyone finding themselves in the cycle of domestic abuse and who want to reach out for help. The biggest takeaway I want to spread with this podcast is do not Wait to plan your leaving strategy. There's an abundance of services that can support anyone trapped in domestic abuse to safely start the process of taking their life back and live to tell their survivor story. I survived domestic abuse and I took my life back through a long process of recovery, which took years. But now I am free, safe, and I am happy. I have my power and my life back. Our abuse stories are not all the same, but there's always a common thread. Domestic abuse covers everything from gender violence, coercive control, sexual control, financial and manipulative emotional control, to entrapment and stalking. I carried the shame and humiliation around with me for years, and it never completely goes away. However, I've realized I can harness these residual feelings of shame to drive awareness of the naked truth of domestic abuse to both the public and those still suffering in abusive relationships. If anyone listening to my podcast can identify or relate to even one small or big detail in my story and those of other guests on this podcast, then please I implore you to reach out for help to the many charitable services available to those in need of support. I will leave the National Domestic Abuse Helpline details at the end of every podcast and in the episode notes. I feel compelled and determined to use my lived experience of domestic abuse to serve, support and emancipate as many victims as possible from domestic abuse. One of my favourite quotes comes to mind from Thomas Keneally, Whoever saves one life saves the world entire. So, what is domestic abuse? Domestic abuse is defined as a pattern of behaviours used by an intimate partner or family member to exert control and power over the other. Before I start with the podcast in full, I have to give a trigger warning. Some of the detail of my story contains description of physical violence and abuse. For legal purposes and more importantly for the protection and privacy of my child, I will keep the name and nationality of my abuser, myself and my child anonymous by using pseudonyms throughout my story and this podcast. To truly understand domestic abuse, one must accept that anyone can be subject to becoming a victim of abuse. It's not weak women or men who are targets for abusive relationships. It's any woman or man. Most times victims are strong-minded, well-educated and successful people. The abuser almost always targets persons more superior to themselves emotionally and intellectually. The abuser then thrives and builds themselves up by breaking that person down to nothing. To then be able to fully control them and assume the power in the relationship. 
One must also understand that in most cases, the common denominator between a victim and an abuser is childhood trauma in the form of domestic abuse, passed down generational trauma, toxic parenting, sexual child molestation and alcohol or drug abuse in their childhood homes or in the childhood homes of their parents. With that said, I'm going to give you a brief background to my childhood and John's childhood to better understand the deeper psychology behind it all. I come from a family of both parents and four siblings. We were four siblings. My mother was a witness to domestic abuse by her alcoholic father towards her mother. My grandmother abandoned my mother at the age of 12, left her to stay behind with her chronic alcoholic father who could not care for her. My grandmother became a raging alcoholic, which I grew up around since she lived with us for most of my childhood. Both my uncles, my mother's brothers, had their battles with alcohol, which I also grew up around. And my eldest brother now practices sobriety. My father is the eldest of five siblings. His father was a very hard, stern, authoritarian parent using corporal punishment to discipline and his mother was emotionally unavailable only providing practical love. My parents wanted a better life and more opportunities for their kids and they loved us. We were average middle class educated family. My mother unintentionally projected all her fears and abandonment issues onto us. It was difficult to have our own opinion different to hers. She struggled to allow us to have our own separate identities. She had a you-are-me outlook because it served her need to control her environment due to her own childhood trauma. It was difficult to make our own choices. It had to reflect her choices. It was her way of keeping herself safe and, in her mind, keeping us safe. She needed constant external validation from her children and our father, despite the fact that she was an extremely successful woman professionally. My father was gentle, loyal and faithful to my mother. He was a practical, present father who loved us, no doubt, but he was emotionally unavailable and he used corporal punishment to discipline us. So we had a normal home life, barring the alcoholism. I spent most of my childhood learning to micromanage my environment to prevent triggering either my grandmother, my mother or my brother. My mother found it difficult to experience her children's troubled emotions like disappointment, rejection, sadness, anger or worry. Expressing such emotions was not tolerated in our house. We could only express feelings and emotions that would not take my mother out of her comfort zone. I did not grow up in an environment where I could learn to identify all my feelings, only the ones that pleased others and those around me. I learned to be a chameleon with my feelings and emotions, even my self-identity, because I was also born and lived in a country riddled with a history of epic racism. The other tra childhood trauma I lived through was sexual abuse by a total stranger at the age of eight in a public toilet. As a result of this, I never could develop normal relationships with the opposite sex, and in my teen years, this became a huge problem for me. My mother's way of overcoming trauma was not to open the can of worms or peel the onion, but rather to mask the devastation with accolades, trophies and academic achievements. So I became her. I donned myself with university degrees and prestigious titles to match. Trauma buried under a white coat. So John. John's childhood begins in his home country. His father was a philanderer and an abuser. John and his sisters witnessed horrific abuse at the hand of their father toward their mother. 
the emotional and physical abuse was also a daily occurrence and this was all he knew to be true in an intimate relationship. His mother left with his two sisters to emigrate to the UK. John was 14 years old when she left. He did not want to go along with her. He ended up living with his abusive, womanizing father. He was also physically abusive towards John. And at the age of 17, John had enough and made his way to Europe with very little money. It was here he met the mother of his eldest child who was born before he turned 18. John was 17, abandoned by his parents, a child witness to domestic abuse and only the shirt on his back in a foreign country where he had no family or friends. A combination which is lethal for any teenager. Listen, this is not an attempt to exonerate John from his brutal abuse of actions. It's to highlight part of the problem of the cycle of domestic abuse that needs to be addressed. If we are to eradicate domestic abuse, we need to heal everyone, both victim and perpetrator. On a final note, I would like to touch on some statistics. Let's be honest, everyone finds statistics boring to listen to and one can lose interest very quickly with it. Or it sort of drones in the background as you start daydreaming during that part of the meeting until you snap out of it and then you're at the end. And despite not taking in a single stat, you do the loudest thank you hand clapping at the end. I'm talking from personal experience here. However, I am going to ask you to please really take the time to listen and process these devastating stats. I wish I can say that I will try to make it as funny as possible, but there's nothing funny about these statistics at all. Okay, according to the Office for National Statistics, domestic abuse in England and Wales overview November 2020. Almost one in every four women aged 16 to 74 will experience domestic abuse in her lifetime. Just think about the stat, one in every four women. That means in every fourth house in your street, a woman is experiencing domestic abuse. Now hold that thought. Think of your neighbours three doors down. Do you see the image of her face in your mind? Now ask yourself, is she possibly experiencing domestic abuse and unable to reach out for help? Possibly very possibly, according to these ONS stats, which was only released a year ago. How does the stat feel to you now you have this shift in perspective? Who are your neighbours three doors down or in your courtyard? In my courtyard of five houses, I am the one in four statistic. Homicide in England and Wales, year ending March 2018, an average taken over 10 years. Overview. Two women a week are killed by a current or former partner in England and Wales alone. That equates to an average of 104 deaths per year. Preventable deaths? Yes, I think so. Domestic abuse victim characteristics, England and Wales year ending March 2020 overview. In the year ending March 2020, 1.6 million women experienced domestic abuse and 757,000 men experienced domestic abuse. We talk about a viral pandemic in 2019, 2020, and 2021, but 1.6 million women have suffered domestic abuse and 757,000 men. Now that is a human pandemic and not much has been done to eradicate domestic abuse. 
Office for National Statistics 2020, Domestic Abuse and the Criminal Justice System England and Wales, November 2020. The overwhelming majority of domestic abuse cases are not prosecuted. Very few domestic abuse-related crimes reported to the police will end in conviction. In the year ending March 2020, there were 1.32 million domestic abuse-related incidents and crimes reported to the police, of which 758,941,000 were deemed by the police to be domestic abuse-related criminal offences and was referred to CPS. But despite this, in the year ending March 2020, there were only 79,965 prosecutions and of that, only 61,169 convictions for domestic abuse-related crimes. This is a shocking statistic and demonstrates the utter lack of consequence for the abuser in terms of the criminal justice system. State-sanctioned abuse. This lack of consequence provides no deterrent for the abuser's behavior, giving a message of zero recourse for and protection of the victim. How can the victims rely on a justice system that have no true understanding of the cycle of domestic abuse. How can the justice system protect victims and their children with these kind of statistics? The following statistics around domestic abuse and children are gut-wrenching and sobering for me, as my child could have been part of these statistics if I did not find a way and strength to leave. NSPCC 2011. Child abuse and neglect in the UK today 20% of children in the UK have lived with an adult perpetrating domestic violence. That's a fifth of our next generation who will grow up with the mental and emotional scars of the trauma of witnessing domestic violence. Save Lives 2015. Getting it right the first time. 62% of children in households where domestic abuse is happening are also directly harmed. Is this a reflection on society where we stand by and observe without being outraged? It takes a village to raise a child. How have we failed to be that village? Women's Aid 2016. 19 child homicides, and I'm sure that figure is probably much higher by now. Between 2005 and 2015, 19 children in 12 families were killed by violent fathers who had been allowed to see them through formal and informal child contact arrangements through family court. Angela Taft, 2002. Angela Taft is a social scientist, a professor and former director of the Judith Lumley Care Center of Mother, Infant and Family Health Research. She led a major funding program of research at JLC on intimate partner and gender-based violence. Domestic violence gets worse during pregnancy. It is estimated four to nine in every hundred pregnant women are abused during pregnancy or soon after the birth. This was very true for me while I was with John. During my pregnancy, the physical violence escalated to near-death experiences for both myself and my unborn child after I gave birth. These stark statistics remind us that we as a society need to raise our awareness and act on the growing pandemic called domestic abuse. It's in our homes. We can see it in our workplace, whether it be a colleague, a friend, an employee, a client, 
or a patient. We need to make it our business, ask the right questions, support and help when domestic abuse is disclosed. We need to say no more to domestic abuse. Before I go, I just need to make some housekeeping announcements. Please check out the podcast page on Instagram and Facebook, Domestic Abuse The Cutting Edge, and on Twitter, the handle is at Abuse Edge, where you can leave comments, feedback, and questions. You can also find all the episodes and transcripts of this podcast at https colon double forward slash Domestic Abuse The Cutting Edge dot I also have show notes with the signed posts to the National Domestic Abuse Helpline and that number again, 0808 It's a free phone and it's confidential or you can leave a message by completing a form on their website, nationaldahelpline.org.uk. Please, if you are able to donate to my listener support, please go to the podcast website, www.domesticabusethecuttingedge.com and click on the PayPal donate button. The link to the donate button will be on the website. All donations will go towards setting up a cluster of support groups of survivors of domestic abuse, where victims who have recently left their abusive relationships will find life-saving support and understanding from experienced survivors who have been there and lived it too. I'm preparing the manifesto and key principles of the support group. The group will not be a referral or signposting service, nor an advice service. It's just simply sitting down, supporting and listening to each other. A safe space to grow and develop personal journeys to being totally free of abuse in their lives. Finally, in the next episode, I will go into detail as to how I met John and the very first time the physical abuse started. I will also delve into the nature of the narcissistic abuser and the narcissistic personality disorder. Till then, stay safe. Do not wait to reach out for help. Your life matters. Much love and light. This is Domestic Abuse, The Cutting Edge. I am Maz, your host, signing out. Until next time.